The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast. And it is a Wednesday cast, and it's a Wednesday cast uh, that is not just going to be me and my regular co-host, Justin. We have another man who uh, has joined us a couple times and is so wildly popular by the fans. Uh, that he has been demanded we talk to him more. Uh, that may be true. It may not be true. Uh, if you're one of the people who demanded it, you know. Uh, but we are going to actually welcome that guy on first. Uh, so, Josh, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Uh, those words were way too kind and ridiculous. <laughs> well, they were all <laughs> lies. And uh, to bring on our regular co-host, it's Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How you doing? Uh, I am, uh, honestly, uh, my throat's a little scratchy for this one, so I am thankful that I have two co-hosts for this one to sort of pass off some of the extra uh, stuff. You know, I told you, Justin, I I may not be able to carry the the load like I normally do, uh, so I'm I'm thankful to both of you. Uh, I do think... Oh, go ahead. This is the podcasting equivalent of Guzman Carujo tearing his ACL. Oh, you think I'm Guzman Carujo? Um, no, you know, that's I, entirely I, too kind. You're the Christian McCoon of podcasting. Oh, man. We're, we're, we're just going to come out guns blazing at each other, aren't we? Um, uh, no, I, I promise to all the listeners out there, uh, we love each other and we love you. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. As ever, we're going to get into the Orlando game and hopefully make a little sense out of something that uh, I guess the right way to phrase it would be didn't make that much sense, uh, mostly because we lost, and I refuse to acknowledge that that is legal, I think is the right way to say it. Uh, so we get a chance in the second minute off of a free kick, and there's a little bit of chaos in the box. Uh, it looks like there's going to be a, a header away by the defense. That head header misses. It o- almost catches the keeper off guard. He parries it up. And Josh, I'm going to I'm going to come with you because I have an opinion of it goes up to Jones and Jones just sort of hits it to hit it. Um, And Derek Jones is not an attacking player. I don't expect him to have like deadly attacking mentality, but it kind of felt like a moment that went wasted. Am I being too harsh on Jones? Should he have left it for Carol Swiderski, who was behind him? What did you see in this one? I think you're being a little harsh on him, but I think the there is a bigger point that he does take it away from Carroll. If you do watch that play, I think in hindsight, you want that ball to fall to Carroll. He's, I don't know, four yards out. Um, and you would hope that he could first time it, although that's also a discussion to have about Carroll's ability to do that. I will say when I watch it, if he goes for that ball, he has to do better with it. I think his idea is correct because I believe it's uh, Sobosinski is kind of unmarked where he's heading that ball. Um, and if he can get it to him, I think we have a really, really good chance. Uh, the problem is your 6'4", tallest player on the team sort of jumps maybe half a foot off the ground and just sort of floats it in the air in the box. Um, so I think it's a little harsh on Jones because I, I think it's understandable that he's going for that ball. I just think he has to do a better job with it. Yeah, I, I felt very similar. I feel like, you know, there's, there's that statement that everything should come with intention. And 
I, I'm, I'm literally rewatching it right now live because I'm doing that instead of doing my job of podcasting. And <laughs> I, I just can't see what the thought was like, yes. Um, Jan Sobosinski is well out to the left, but there's not nearly enough power to get it out there. Uh, it just looked like kind of a wasted ball. That being said, uh, I think we moved past that because Derek Jones was not the only defensive midfielder that spent some time in the opponent's box for this game. And I think there's a lot to talk about here. And Justin, I'm going to push this off to you so I don't have to do it. Brant Bronico was everywhere on the pitch. We interviewed him. We talked about some of that rotational stuff. And I'd like you to highlight what you saw as how the midfield was rotating. And maybe we touch on the question of how does this work with Swiderski? Because Brent Bronico was in a lot of the places I would be looking for, you know, Carol to pop up. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, we've got some heat maps here that uh, had, that have been pulled up. Uh, Josh, Josh loves the heat maps and, and brought them for us. And, and, you know, Swiderski has a very sort of, Isolated left, top of the 18, uh, where he's predominantly showing up and Bronico is showing up everywhere. But again, a big part of that heat map is, you know, attacking left, top of the 18. And and so you're right, there is a lot of that. I think that, you know, in terms of rotationally with Derek Jones in, obviously, Brent Bronico has fewer, not, not none, but fewer defensive responsibilities. And rotationally, what would... I think I saw during that match was a lot of as the ball would leave, you know, the left side of the pitch, Bronica would push forward sort of in pursuit in support of Carol Swiderski as it left the right side of the pitch and moved back across the other way. Uh, when, when we did not have the ball, Quinn McNeil would step up into those spaces. All of this though, is a byproduct. I think of, of how deep Swiderski tends to drop in an attempt to become a part of this play. Um, I think that, some of this is sort of an indictment of the fact that the team as yet doesn't have an attacking midfielder that links that play up to to Swiderski. Some of this is just Swiderski wants to drop deeper and link the play. But when your central when your central striker drops deep, somebody's got to step forward to fill the space. And more and more, it looks like Brant Bronico is doing that. If you didn't get a chance, uh, listeners, to see the post-match interview, we, we talked to Bronico, um, you know, in the stadium after the match and talked to him a little bit about that that opportunity. And, you know, what he said was really that, that he's going to play wherever the team needs him. But he talked to us before, uh, you know, in the, in the studio interview about the fact that he's played as an eight. He's moving back up into more of a box-to-box. You know, we talked when Aaron Ramsey was hinted at potentially coming to Charlotte, that there, there was this opportunity to get somebody with a huge motor that makes late runs into the box. And now we've got the guy with the huge motor that's making these runs into the box, you know, from the midfield in Brant Bronico. And frankly, I think he's doing it better than current uh, Aaron Ramsey was going to be able to do it for Charlotte. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that it's, ideal for the attacking intent of the team. Yeah, Swiderski's so. still a better shooter. So I'd rather have him higher and Bronico linking that play, but yeah, I'm not I'm hating gonna, it. I'm going to step in here because I have a bit of concern and I think Josh will probably echo this concern. If you do look at these two heat maps and maybe we should post them 
on our Instagram so you guys can actually see them for yourselves. But they're very similar. They're concerningly similar. And considering the fact that they are so similar, the fact that the guy who we saw running into the box was Brant Bronico and not Carol Swiderski concerns me. Um, I don't know if that space is just being vacated. And so Brant is seeing it and going, well, nobody's there. I'll run into it. Or whether, uh, you know, Brant is a bit of a force of nature on his own. And Carol is sort of naturally submitting that area to him. But that's, like you said, I want him to be the late guy. I want him to be the guy who comes in after the play is developed. I want Carol to be the one who goes in with a dagger. Um, and I do have a little bit of concern that this seems to show we weren't seeing it in that game. Josh, do you want to get on, on this at all? Yeah, just to add a little bit, you know, I, as I was, as you guys were talking, I was trying to think of the fact that their heat maps show them in the same areas, but I, I looked this up because I couldn't remember them actually linking up together very much. You know, it's not necessarily a problem if, if two players are occupying similar spaces, if they have a good connection and they're running off of each other and, and doing intricate passes. But when you look actually at the passing network that we have, and if you're not familiar with it, it's it's just a, a diagram that shows the connections between different players and and how often they were passing to each other. There is literally no connection between Bronico and Swiderski this game. Um, that's not to say they didn't pass to each other at all, but that's to say that really they were not involved with each other. If Swiderski was getting the ball, he was getting it from somewhere else. If Bronico was getting the ball, he was getting it from somewhere else. So that I think to your point, Logan really has to concern you that they're taking up similar spaces, the space that you want Swiderski and Bronico's going into, and they're up there sort of isolated from each other. And I don't know if that's tactics. I don't know if that's just Bronico taking the initiative. I don't know if that's Swiderski not doing his job. Um, whatever it is, it really does need to get figured out, though, and quickly. So I have an offhand question for you, because I assume you are the knower of all things. Um, between you, Justin, and I, we should know all the things. And I know I don't know this one, <laughs> so I'm relying on someone else. Um, who is... I accept maybe Ben Bender. Who is Carol Swiderski's most connect connected piece? Do you know? Um, for the entire year, I do not know. I can tell you for this game, he's pretty isolated. Um, his connections are really with uh, Sobosinski and Fuchs. Um, wow. Yeah. Maybe um, that's something that we look into in the future as to see where his connections are coming from. Because I have seen link up between him and Bender, but I have not really seen much link up outside of that. I'd like to see uh, if the numbers identify the same. Yeah, I I would I, I don't have numbers to support it, but it feels like the player that and this is not a short connection or anything like that, but it feels like the player that he's received the most passes from outside of Bender is probably Jordi Reyna. We are getting into theory now, and I think I'm gonna hold off the theory because it's a Wednesday cast, because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, but I do think that's something that we look into in the future. Uh, I'm going to move along to Josh, and I'm going to talk about Quinn McNeil. And he has clearly been given a lot of responsibility. He's a young man. He's got a lot on his shoulders. He's been told to be another engine in the team. Uh, I think that he really feels like he's going to go out there and put it all out there on the field. I have a little bit of concern about some of the aggression coming out of McNeil. 
he gets a, an early yellow card. I will be honest, if I was the referee, it probably would have been a red card. Uh, I believe he gets a yellow card in the one before this as well. Is that correct? And do you, you know, are you seeing the same things I'm seeing, Josh? I am. Um, and I'm having a hard time deciding whether this aggression is coming from just sort of a, a natural evolution in his game. He's feeling more comfortable on the pitch. He feels like he can take players on more. Or if it's coming from a little bit of fatigue, I do think it's important to note that this is not a seasoned professional. This guy is, you know, early in his career. He's been playing a lot of minutes, um, midweek games, weekend games, and he's just young in general. And so, you know, fouls are going to come with that inexperience. I agree with you that, you know, in the stands, I didn't think that the tackle that he had that he got the yellow on was that bad. But when you watch it on video, it's, I think if that happens in the 72nd minute instead of the 22nd or whatever it was, um, he's probably sent off. Yeah, I I know that it concerned me when I saw it. It was just, I don't want to say maybe aggression is the wrong word. It, It looks like he has been given a clear job. And he feels like even if he goes through the ball late, he still needs to achieve that job. He still needs to body people. He still needs to hit people. He still needs to come in strong. And, uh, you know, I wonder if that is a little bit of young player being given a role and not knowing when to back off that role just a little bit for, uh, you know, the safety of the team, the safety of himself and the safety of the people around him. I would like to see maybe a little more control out of him. Uh, Um, Justin. Yeah. Chalk me up for the fatigue factor rather than than anything else i think you you are correct he did get a yellow in the nycfc match Mm -hmm. um i think that he's just a guy that has had a lot of minutes put on in a situation he wasn't expecting when he started this season and and he really hasn't had a chance i don't think to sort of you know get get that kind of off-season fitness that can carry you through a, a full mls season he expected to play most of this year with the independents you know, the, the minutes were going to be fewer. He's going to be subbed out more often, everything like that. And and all of a sudden, he's thrust into a very starting role with a lot of minutes on his legs in a very short pe- window of time. And I think more than anything else, he is a half step, step late on tackles mm-hmm. he remembers making earlier in the season. On tackles, he's like, I was able to step in and win this 50-50 earlier in the season. And he's finding himself a little bit behind. And because of that, he's throwing himself into tackles. Yeah, I think kind of an odd note on this is the fact that, admittedly, one of them is a now more regular starter and has more minutes on his legs. But we have seen uh, sort of the opposite of McNeil and Bender, where Bender, you know, has some very serious defensive challenges and was late to everything. Bender is now arriving a little sooner and reading the play a little better. better, And McNeil, whether it's from fatigue or otherwise, is now arriving to challenges a little later. But... Uh, I am going to move on with you, Justin, and talk about the Cara goal, the first goal. Um, do you want to walk us through what happens here and why we should ultimately all be very mad at Anton Walks? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is the kind of attack that really, you know, they camp out near the top of our, our 18. They're passing them all around. They, these are areas that we've had some danger. And what bothers me about this more than anything else is that Anton Walks makes a gesture just before the run and the pass 
that apparently this is supposed to be Jalen Lindsay's run to to Marvel. Lindsay's got a man further outside of him. There's there's still got to be that concern that Lindsay's got to be able to make it out to the wing and cover if that's where the pass goes. There's not really like Sobosinski and Jones are closing down the the player with the ball. Walks' only real responsibility should be tracking the run of Kara. And instead he tries to pass him off and just stands there as Kara makes the run in behind and doesn't keep up with him. And and my question is, if you think you're passing this off to Lindsay, who are you then covering Anton Walks? Because, like I said, Jones is closing from behind and Sobosinski's more advanced to, to cover this attacker coming in. Why why is this a pass off for you? Why is this not your responsibility? And the answer is it's absolutely Anton Walks' responsibility to to track the run of Kara. He only gets in behind because Walks turns off. Um he he only is still on side, to be perfectly honest, and, and the other area where there's a piece of the blame, uh, because Christian Fuchs is a little bit behind the defensive line and holding him on side on this run. Um but this has got to be Wax's to track. You can't, you can't make a gesture to your your fullback and say, "Hey, track the interior channel run," while there's still a winger on your side. Yeah, I, I think you described that pretty well. I I don't think I want to go into it significant or significantly more because I think we're gonna have to talk about uh, Anton in this one again. Uh, I I think. This is something that everyone can go back and watch the replay and and understand what you've put forward there. So I think we're going to move along into something. Um, oh. One last little thing that I want to say about Anton Walks and, and and I, he had a terrible performance in the match. I will credit the guy. He did come out and do press after the the match. I know there are a lot of players in a lot of different leagues, not just in MLS that if you were the one responsible for for the goals that cost your team these three points in a winnable match, would not step up and talk to the press. And so at the very least, props to Anton Walks for taking his lumps where, where you know, they're deserved. Oh, yeah. I think uh, consummate professional is the right way to say it. Uh, we will move along. And Justin, I'm going to stick with you for the Kamil assist. And then maybe I'm going to say just a little bit about the... Uh, the run for our goal. Yeah. Kamal so a guy, real quick, Kamal's a guy yeah. who you have backed since the beginning and uh, comes pretty good in this one. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, kind of surprising first to he's brought in for Vargas on the left wing, which I, I can't remember with a hundred percent detail, but the majority of the time that we have seen Kamal so far this season has been on the right wing. There was that one match up the center, but I think this is really where he played when he was with Darby in uh, in the English Championship. And so, you know, it's interesting seeing him out here. It's a little bit more of an inverted winger style than you know Jordi Reyna or. Uh, Kerwin Vargas gives us a little bit of it, but he drifts in the kind of ball that you want to see from this inverted wing play. This is this is still pretty wide of the box. This is outside of, you know, Jordi Reyna's favorite shooting area uh, sort of spot. And he drops this thing 
on a dime in between two defenders on the head of Mackenzie Gaines uh, with this cross. And it's a two touch. He takes one touch to get the ball out from under his feet and position it. And then the second touch is this in swinging cross, uh, you know, just draw a line between the, the, the penalty spot and the six yard box. And he puts it right in the, the dead center of that space. And, um, Gaines gets his head to it for his, his first MLS goal here for Charlotte. Yeah, I'm going to speak really quickly on... Actually, you know what? I'm not going to speak on Mackenzie Gaines. Uh, Josh, I'm going to pull you in and give you this duty because you have been uh, saying that one of Mackenzie Gaines' superpowers is his ability to make a good run. So I think it's only fair that I hand you the the praise. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, when you watch this again, I... What strikes me is there's a Orlando defender who is directly covering Mackenzie Gaines, and it's just this little burst that Mackenzie does right before Uzwiak uh, strikes that ball. But it's that burst along with a little bit of a slowdown right after. The burst gets him that separation that he needs, but then he slows down to wait for that ball to come. It's something that Mackenzie is able to do game in and game out. Um, really, if you go back and watch any game that he's played a lot of minutes in, he makes consistent runs behind the back line every single game. It's a it's a hard to quantify stat. There is no stat as far as I know that shows, you know, runs in behind type of thing. Um, and so I think it goes unnoticed, especially if he's making those runs when he doesn't get the ball. Um, here's a perfect example, though. It's not something that's new to him. Um and and luckily he was able to finish it off because I think he's been close earlier this year with a few chances. So it was really good to see him finally uh, break that that uh, that offer for himself. Yeah, it was a really good run. It was a really pretty run, and you know it is. I think it's his only shot the whole game, and he buries it beautifully. And there is something to be said about the players who can get away from their markers and who can take their specific chances. I do think something we have to say about this game is that it was really played in the midfield. Um, there weren't that many chances either way as far as an MLS game goes. The XG was 0.6 for Charlotte FC to 1.5 for Orlando City. Uh, you know, 1.5 is a little more towards what we normally see, but it it was a little bit in the midfield. And it just seemed like neither team was really willing to commit too much forward or just didn't quite have the the way through and I feel like in the instances of both of their goals where danger did come from was often mistakes and I feel like a lot of the ones that didn't actually pan out were pretty bad mistakes that allowed the ball to get into the boxes the two that I will separate out of this was the late Bronico shot, which I think we'll talk about later and the amazing cross in from Uzwiak. And uh, that's kind of it. These games are odd because it showed that neither team really won the midfield battle. And I feel like that means we could have seen a little bit more attack for us out of that game. We weren't out of it. We were, we were in it the whole time and I struggle with games like this because I have the question of should we be defensively a little more solid if we were 50-50 in the midfield or should we try and go for it a little more if we were 50-50 in the midfield? And I think most regular listeners of the podcast will tell you that I tend to fall to the side of 
let's be in our opponent's box more than we're in our box. So I, I think that has questions as to, you know, maybe again, that leads questions to Carol Swiderski and what his connections are that are helping us create and keep pressure higher up. Uh, midfield games are not the most fun, uh, whether we like it or not. You know, the most entertaining football matches are the ones where there's almost no defense and people just run down the field and they score and they run down the field and they score. Uh, but there is a lot to to parse out of them if you want to look. I do think that one of the things we are going to have to talk about in this game is we do have one of these bad mistakes in the midfield that ultimately goes into the final goal for uh, Orlando. Justin, do you want to do you want to tell us about Anton Walks in the midfield and and his his moment late in the game? Oh, Anton Walks makes a mistake and it leads to a goal. I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but uh, so. So Tasha comes in for Kara and uh, uh, late in the game, 88th, 89th minute, uh, there's just one of these innocuous balls into the midfield. It's just a, it's, it's cleared out by Orlando and it's just sort of dropping down. And, you know, it, this is clearly Anton Walks's ball. There's nobody within three, four yards of him, no pressure on him or anything like that. And he just, whiffs it he just whiffs his touch uh he lets an orlando player get in behind him and then he commits the the second you know sort of in my opinion unforgivable uh mistake here and that is if you are this badly beaten and nobody else is is really there to cover but you're not the last man back bring him down when you try and tackle him because walks goes in to try and take the ball away and instead just doesn't just sort of bounces off the one time this match that an Orlando player stays up uh, through contact, uh, you know, but uh, no kidding, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, walks does not do enough. That's a tactical yellow situation. You take the foul, you take your yellow card, you give your team the time to get back in defense, especially if it's your mistake, which it absolutely was in this situation, but he doesn't do either of those things. Uh, instead, he leaves, you know, a runner in on our goal. Um, Sobosinski, I think, does a good job tracking back. Uh, Kalina stops the first one. The second one gets past him. I think, Josh, you had, uh, A, wanted the opportunity to defend yourself <laughs> from the post-react, and B, wanted to go into a little more detail about uh, Kalina here. Yeah, so I I'm going to get oh. myself in... Uh, I, I just do want to say, uh, Justin, if you could do the, like the ring announcer voice so that Josh and I have a proper <laughs> like fight going on. Yeah. In this corner, Logan, in this corner, Josh, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, OK, I apologize for the interruption. Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble with with a lot of Charlotte fans with this because I know how fans feel about Kalina. And I count myself as one of those. I, I like Kalina. I think he can be a really good goalkeeper for us for the rest of this year and for, you know, years to come. But one of the issues I've had with him consistently over this year is I do not feel like he always catches the ball and or uh, redirects shots outside of danger. And this is something that I noticed going back to the first game in um, D, er, in DC. Um, it's something that I've seen periodically throughout. 
in this instance with Orlando, it's a tough position. But my position on this is that there's a few things I disagree with him. The first is his positioning. When you rewatch this play, he's outside of that six-yard box. And, and I'm not a goalkeeping expert, so maybe he is doing it perfectly as he's taught. But to me, he feels like he's kind of in a little bit of no man's land where maybe he thought he was going to have to come out. But Sobosinski has made up a lot of ground. I agree with Justin. He does, a, I think, a fantastic job. I actually think he forces Tesho to, to shoot before he might want to because he's kind of forcing him wide. And another step, another yard, and I think Jan is going to be able to get across and, and tackle him. So, you know, the way he comes out, his positioning right there, leaves a little bit to be desired for me. And then on the shot, I don't think it's fair to expect him to catch that shot. There, There is a short distance between him and the shooter. But I need my goalie to redirect that differently, um, especially one who has been so good this year. I think I just expect him to push that towards the sideline to do something other than push it directly back into play. It's probably a little harsh. I, I understand that. Um, but again, I, I don't think that this is the first time that this has happened with him. And I just think it's an area of improvement. You know, I know Logan on the post react, you talked about, you know, his distribution and how we need to sort of see that get better. And maybe that's a fair way for me to, to say my point is that I just think that this is an area where he could get better at. And I think that this is a good example of how He's not wholly or even mostly responsible for this goal, but I do think that we were very close to escaping this situation if he's just able to redirect that ball. Yeah, so I'm going to come in, and the first thing I'm going to do is very strongly agree with you, and the second thing I'm going to do is burn you at the stake. Uh, that's that's <laughs> strong wording, but uh, I, there's one point in here that I think you say really well. Christian Kalina has a problem controlling his parries. Um, I think that is a fair statement. Uh, we've seen a couple of times in this season where he's gone in for a cross uh, and he hasn't gotten a solid clear on it. You know, there was one just the other day. Uh, I haven't seen anything from my perspective that makes me feel like he's not very good at catching the ball, uh, but he has definitely misjudged a few. Uh, one of the things that I will... So, so I want to be clear on point one. I think you actually point out something really, really intelligent here that he could do some some work with his, even if you're throwing it out of bounds, you know, even if you're uh, agreeing to take the corner kick, get it away from the immediate danger. Uh, the thing I'm going to disagree with is this particular shot. Uh, so I went back and, and I watched it again. And as a keeper growing up, what we get taught, and I want to be clear, I don't have the last five years of keeper knowledge in my brain. Um, you know, maybe the rules have changed, but I tend to doubt it. In that situation, a keeper would be told, you want to make the angle of the goal as small as possible while maintaining as much distance back to the line as you can. So you want to cut the play out to the point where you feel like you have the entire goal covered. If they're going to beat you, they're going to have to beat you via it just sliding underneath your feet and you can't react in time. Uh, I feel like Kalina does this pretty well. Right there at the edge of the six-yard box, I think if you could take a, a camera view from the ball, 
you would see that the wingspan of Christian Kalina basically covers post to post. And that leaves him as much time as he can to react to the shot. And at the same time, doesn't leave an area that a just really well, softly passed ball can go by him. Uh, In my opinion, for this one, there's not enough time to do anything but reaction save. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe you can say that on some of his other misses, I think that it's probably fair to say there is time for him to do more than just reaction save. But on this one in particular, I I can't personally expect a keeper to be able to do anything other than just see the ball coming and flail at it as best he can to stop it from going in the net. Um, Justin, I'm going to bring you in here, uh, not to be the deciding factor, but you know, you talked a little bit earlier about the fact that it is not a, a Charlotte FC player who gets back to this ball. Do you want to continue on that line? Oh, sorry, uh, Josh, did you have one more thing you wanted to add? Oh, did I miss a call? Oh, I did. I apologize, <laughs> Josh. Uh, please, please uh, rebuke. <laughs> no, no, I, I think you do make a good point. And, and I think that this is where, you know, one of my deficiencies, I never played goalkeeper. I do agree with you that I think, I guess I'm I'm a little torn on the positioning. I think he's come out too far, but what you're saying makes sense. What I will say is I think that is also kind of my problem is when I look at this goal, I think he has positioned himself pretty well to where you can, as a goalkeeper, I think you kind of have to expect that shot to come near post, right, to his left-hand side. Because for Tesho to try to go across him and go far post, he's going to have to do something crazy or take it with his left foot, which he's not doing. And so I guess I'm just... In my head, I'm feeling like Kalina has covered his angles well. He's sort of, him and Sobosinski are sort of forcing him to his right foot. The reaction, I know it's happening in a second, but I just want him to parry that out into the into touch. Again, probably being just a little unfair to him. Um, but I, I, I want to say I think it comes from my expectations from him because he has made such good saves this year um, that... You know, it, it's probably partially and maybe even mostly disappointment coming. And uh, maybe that's not fair to him, but um, it's just a, a small thing that I think he could get a little bit better at. Well, yeah. uh, one thing I will say very quickly is if you thought the host of the Crowncast never disagreed on anything, we do occasionally disagree <laughs> on things. We are all individual people. We see the game differently. And this is what makes us all learn is we we hear each other's opinions. Uh, Justin, is there something you do actually really want to get in here or should we move along? Because we are spending quite a bit well, of time on part one. Real quick, I just want to say that there is an opportunity. I think you, you know, Sobosinski does a good job. Kalina, or Kalina makes the first save. Fuchs is the one who doesn't quite have the makeup speed anymore. And, and I don't know that after 89 minutes of a match, I can put too much of this on Fuchs. What I will say is I, I'm going to put some of this on Christian Latanzio. We have five substitutions. We only use three in this match. We have a lot of tired legs. We've done three matches in the week. We put out I the will. same side, and I just think there were some tactical decisions in this match that that really upset me. Um, I am going to hold you off, Justin, because in part two, I'm going to let you go nuts on Latanzio. Is that it? Can, All right. Can we make that a fair deal? Sure. All right. We'll shake hands on it. I am going to go back to Josh um, and... Josh, we all saw the footwork. We all saw the skill in Bronico's chance at the death. Um, but you were like looking right at it. Do you want to tell us what it looked like from your perspective? 
uh, pure heartbreak. Um, the the sounds, oh <laughs> the sounds that came from the people right around me, and probably from myself as well. Um, I mean, it, it really said it all. You know, I I I watched the games, the home games from the supporters section for this game. I was, if you're looking at the goal, I was just to the left of it. Um, so right where that shot is curling. And when it came off his foot, I thought we had a tie. I thought we had pulled something out of the hat and this place was going to go nuts. Um, And from my perspective, it literally looked like it shaved the top of that crossbar. I think it went over a little bit higher than that. But the point is, is that the reactions in that stadium (laughs) uh, for me, from everyone around there was just pure heartbreak it was so much frustration that entire game and that felt like a moment that would just alleviate some of it it still probably would have been kind of a disappointing result to just get a draw but man it would have been so much better and something to really truly go wild for um it it was a fantastic shot i don't really think you can ask anything more of of brant in that situation um you know that that's just how it is he might hit that ball 10 more times and it might go into that top corner eight of those times so you know it's a little bit of an unlucky break but i think he did literally everything you could ask for him in that situation yeah and i can tell you from our perspective it comes down off of the header of a defender and just i'm going to break the the chance down really quickly brant kills it with his left foot is a very good touch it is a really really nice controlling touch he fakes to his right and for those of you who may have seen the Liverpool versus Manchester United, I think is their small team in the Premier League um, game just recently, you'll see a very, a very clear example of a player right there in the middle of the box, drawing defenders away to one side, very calmly drawing the ball back to the other and then slotting it home. It is a challenging thing to do. It takes a lot of control. It takes a lot of presence of mind. It takes a lot of skill. Everything happens in a beautiful, fluid moment. It is a really impressive piece of skill from Bram Bronico, right up to the point that it just, you are correct, it barely shaves over the crossbar. Uh, I think everyone thought as it came off of his foot, it was going to be a goal. And uh, it, it, it hurts for a piece of something that beautiful to, to not ultimately come out to uh, come out to what we, we feel like we deserved in this one. Uh, I think... Justin, is there anything you want to talk about here or should we move along? No, not about this chance. It, it It's heartbreaking that it doesn't go in, but uh, it is what we got to move on. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, we are going to move on to something a little bit brighter, and that is we have a website. That's right. Uh, the Crowncast is no longer just a podcast. We are now going to be starting to put up some articles that you can go out and read. You can uh, read one that I wrote that was somewhere between 27 and 28 pages long because I have <laughs> no idea how to limit myself in writing uh, about the L.A. game. Uh, you can go out. You can uh, look for a lot of new content up there. And pretty shortly, we're going to be getting videos up there from the stuff that we take on the sidelines. Uh, so you'll get all the all the stuff. Justin, is there anything you want to add about that? No, I mean, we are incredibly excited. This is definitely where we're posting up. We have all of this new content coming in from from our opportunity to be at these matches and interviewing these players. And we had to find a better way to get it to all of you. Uh, we're going to be linking a lot of content, too, uh, on, on the website. It's crowncast.net. Uh, 
we're going to be linking a lot of content over to uh, from Josh over at Bank Spirits and Soccer. So, you know, another great opportunity to go in and, and be able to, to get over to his blog and read all of the great analytics and uh, review that he does about our play. Um, so we're excited to have it out there. Uh, please go out there, you know, check it out. Use it. Let us know what you think. There's a contact us form. Let us know if there's a player that you'd like us to ask a question, and and you know we'll take some suggestions and see if we can get those players and those post game pressers and and ask them one of your questions. Yeah, and one final thing we are going to mention is because we are now official media, and I will never get tired of saying that we are official <laughs> MLS media. Um, we get to go and see some of the practices, some of the closed door practice stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And uh, with a little luck, I will actually be there tomorrow morning uh, getting to see all of the secrets that Charlotte FC hides. Uh, And if I am capable of doing that, uh, you will see it. That is where you'll find it is on the website. And uh, you'll probably see an article up about what I see there. We are going to move along because uh, we go again. As the, the statement will ever be, we go again. And this time... We don't go to Toronto. Toronto goes to us. And we have somebody who can give us a little bit of an insight of what we might be looking at. And that is the uh, ever-famous Josh from Banks, Beers, and Soccer. Yeah, this is the first time, Josh, we've played Toronto, right, this season. We haven't played them before. There's definitely no traumatic experiences. I can't recall any other meetings. I think that <laughs> this be- is the first, the inaugural meeting uh, for this club. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't know Toronto was a place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is of course a joke um, and i will no, uh, we i will hang my head in shame and pass it off to josh to give us our our insights into the next match so toronto has really kind of been on fire since we saw them the first time um you know that that first game was when they debuted their new italian boys and insigne and, and bernadeschi and they've really been rolling since then, except for this past weekend against Miami. They did they did lose, which broke a five-game uh, unbeaten streak for them. And I'm hopeful that that maybe breaks a little bit of a spell. Like, maybe the Italian boys were giving them a little bit of magic, and now that that's broken, they'll come back down to earth a little bit. Um, but this is a very dangerous attacking team. Uh, they have a lot of talent in Insigne and in Bernadeschi, but also in Osorio and Jaden Nelson. Um, they can really get get after it. And since Insigne and Bernadeschi have joined them, I'm going to throw out just a few numbers. Um, their attack has really kind of exploded. Um, before these guys' arrival and before they started playing, they were just under 10 shots per 90. They are now up to over 11 shots per 90. Um, That doesn't seem like a crazy increase, but when you're talking about averages, it's it's pretty impressive. Similarly, their shots on target has gone up from 4.10 to 4.48 per 90. Um, And in the six games that these two Italians have played for them, they've gone from 26 goals to they sit on 40 goals right now. Um, So these guys have come in and made an immediate impact for this team. Uh, especially on the offensive side. Um, and they, the chances are very good that they're going to score some goals this game. And Charlotte is going to have to find some if they want to pull out a win. So, uh, you know, one of the questions that we always uh, go to you with is where do you feel like is the biggest danger? And I realize you've just said the Italian boys. Do you want to be more specific? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I gushed about them the first time, but it, it's really Insigne and Bernadeschi. Um, I was actually a little down on Bernadeschi when he joined. Um, he was kind of underwhelming at Juventus, where he spent the past, I think, five seasons. But I think MLS in Toronto is probably a little bit more his level. To be fair to him, I think it's probably a little bit below his level. He's really shown it. He has four goals and an assist in his six games with them. Insigne has three goals and an assist in his six games with them. Um, I'm on the record as saying I think Insigne is going to be the best player in MLS over the next couple years once he gets settled. Um, he's just that good. The one area that they're not good at, though, surprisingly, is striker. Um, they're actually trying to find an answer there. They recently benched uh, the guy who had been playing for them, Jimenez, for a guy named Akinola. Um, but it hasn't really helped them out that much. Akinola only has one goal on the year. I think it was way back in like April or so. Um, so that's a little bit of an area of weakness. But when you have guys like Insigne and Bernadeschi who are outside of that striker, you're still going to present a lot of problems for your opponent. You know, so, Toronto still sits behind us in the table. They're still, you know, a little bit back uh, of us. We do we have a chance here? These Italian guys, it sounds like, you know, we again have to be scared of them just like we were a few weeks ago. But, you know, is there any hope here? Do you think do we have an opportunity of hitting a soft spot for Toronto? Absolutely. Uh, as good as Toronto is going forward, they are not great defensively. Um, they're a little bit better with the with the Italians now, just because I think they're able to control the game a little bit more, but they still allow a ton of goals. Um, I think they're at 47 goals allowed for the entire year. It's something like 1.71 per game. Uh, their goalkeeper isn't very good. I mean, he's okay. He's average. And with that comes good games, and it comes bad games against Miami. He had an absolute howler where a guy shot it directly at him and he just muffed it right into the back of his net. So I do think we're going to have to score goals. I, I'm not sure and I'm not confident that we're going to be able to keep them out of the net, but we should be able to score goals. I was saying that before the first matchup and I'm going to continue to say it. Um, they they allow goals, so it's going to. If we want to win, we're going to have to win a shootout, though. So, well, I, I will go ahead and say that, you know, I just asked for a shootout, so maybe I'm getting what I asked for. Uh, and that that would be on me. That would be on me, uh, Justin, because time is becoming more of a factor here. I am going to force us forward. I'm yeah. going to, to move us into the Latanzio discussion, and I think it is a discussion. I am on record saying that I think Christian Latanzio is actually a really, really impressive coach. I think as a player development coach, he sees the game really well. We've talked to the guy in person. We've gotten the chance to sort of see how his mind works on the field. We can very clearly see some of the stuff that the players have been told is how they raise their game. I think we have seen some stuff that is not player development coach stuff that could be a little bit more of a problem and probably deserves to be pointed out. Uh, do you want to start with the substitutions? Do you want to start with the tired legs? What do you want to start with, Justin? I mean, I want to start actually with the opening lineup, with the starting 11. So so we, we name a relatively unchanged starting 11 from the team that beat uh, NYCFC midweek. And... 
you know, I think instinctually you say, oh, well, it's working. Let's stick with it. Right. But but that's not necessarily the right thing. We played a hyper defensive midfield because we were concerned about New York City coming forward. We needed the ability to break up that play and find the space in the counterattack. I think from a tactical perspective, from a manager and and this again is sort of we've talked about it before the difference between manager and coach is the tactical decisions that you make orlando's not going to set up that way orlando is is not going to set up in a, a in a way where they're going to be coming at us and we talked about the lack of you know energy and the fact that everything was sort of happening in the midfield we needed someone in the midfield that could dictate a little more in this we didn't need the additional defensive capability of Derek Jones. This was, an, I think, an opportunity to see, you know, whether it's Kamal Yazwiak coming back into the midfield and starting, or if it's Ben Bender starting. But but the Orlando match called for more creativity and maybe a little less defensive spine. And especially when you're in a situation, you just picked up points against New York. It wasn't expected, but you just dropped points, you know, just before then uh, against LAFC that was expected but but really bad we dropped points against chicago which was unexpected we're in a situation where the only way we're making the playoffs is winning matches and putting out a hyper defensive lineup against a team like orlando isn't a recipe to win a match just because it worked against nycfc doesn't mean you need to go in and do it again yeah i mean i think one of the things that i'm going to say here and i'm going to steal a line and i'm going to openly admit that i'm stealing it from a podcaster named clive uh you can find him at clive pafc if you want to go and confirm this uh but uh it's just football uh the the truth is this is one of those things that i, I personally think brant bronico needs a rest if you are going to play Derek jones in this anyway I don't know how Brant Bronico is expected to do a super high engine job that goes all the way up and down the pitch at all times. You know, even if you want him in there to try and like, even if you feel like he is your key piece and you want him to be the box to box, maybe he's only the box to box for a half and then let this guy breathe oxygen, which he doesn't seem to be allowed to do. It seems like there is no alternative to having him on the field and, I think that speaks a lot to Brandt's skill. I think it speaks to his character. I think it speaks to how he's becoming a leader of this team. I think it speaks to the fact that he is the strong pillar in the middle spine of our team. But if you are going to replace him defensively anyway, I have trouble seeing how we rely on him so much uh, that we can't let the guy take a little bit of a break, whether it's just a half or whether it's a whole game, whatever it is. Uh, another thing that I'm going to talk about in here is if you are going to break down a team and start getting attacks into the uh, into dangerous positions, Carol Swiderski has to be a, an effective piece of the puzzle. And all the stuff we've been talking about in this podcast so far is clear that Carol Swiderski is currently not an effective piece of the puzzle. I don't think it is a skill problem. I think it is a fit problem. I think Carol, Swider Carol Swiderski's technique and skill is up, up, up there. It is a, we do not have the right system to deploy him or he does not understand what his job is. Either way, if you are looking to, you know, present a little bit more aggressive threat, I think you have to look to somebody else, whether again, it's his Polish teammate in uh, 
Kamal Yazwiak or whether it's Ben Bender, who we have already seen provide a lot of link up with him. The fact that Brant Bronigo is taking up the same spaces as Carol Swiderski and they are not connecting in this tells me that there is some greater part of the plan that is not being executed and is either not being executed or is not there. And I, I don't know which one it is. All I know is that Carol Swiderski always looks like he is on an island. And if this team is going to attack effectively, there needs to be some managerial switch up that makes our nine dangerous. And I personally don't care if that's we play two strikers up top. I don't care if that's Carol Swiderski's tired because he's got a lot of minutes on his legs too. And um, Andre Shinishiki comes in and tries a game at nine. I don't care what the change up is, but I, I want to see a change up. And, you know, our already run to death defensive midfielder taking up all the same positions as our currently not being effective striker leaves me with questions about how the team is being managed. Uh, Justin, you made a really good point about the fact that in the MLS, you have more than three substitutes available to you. Uh, but you only have three windows. Do you want to talk about that really quick? Yeah, so the way the rules are written, right? You get five substitutions over the course of a match, but they have to come in three discrete windows. There's no, like, it's not, oh, this window has to be at 60 minutes, this window has to be at 70. It's just you only get three opportunities to substitute players in, but up to five substitutions can be made. So you can bring a couple of players on at one particular time. We only, in this match, which is, again, the third in a week, that, that involves a, you know, a couple of, of long flights. Bronico talked in his interview that they didn't come back to Charlotte after LA. They just went to, to New York and they just stayed there for a couple of days. And then they came home uh, to, to prep for the Orlando match. And you only use three substitutions over the course of that match. You Granted, you have Melanda on the bench who is new you know, you don't know what you've got in him yet, and that's fine. But, you know, you're leaving players like, uh, you know, Mora never sees the field. It, you know, Awful never sees the field. We've got people who have opportunities, I think, to influence this game that don't get brought on. You know, we, we only bring on Yuzwiak, Bender, and uh, and Reyna. And, uh, uh, or sorry, uh yeah, uh, but but we never see, you know, we never see Swiderski have the opportunity to come in. He's apparently fallen out of the super sub uh, role or just Latanzio doesn't think there are enough subs to, to get him on. I don't know what it is, but these are tactical decisions that are being made over the course of the match that I think in the chess game that is a football match, Christian Latanzio gets outplayed in. And and it's unfortunate, I think, because like you said, he is a really good developer of players. He is a really good coach. But these are situations that frustrate me to not see as many of these, these talented players on the bench get an opportunity to come in and influence this game and to rest players that are obviously dead tired. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is one of the reasons I wanted to give this the time that we've given it is because I do think it is a discussion. I think there is a lot of good that has come out of Christian Lantanzio. I think there are some reasonable questions to be asking. Uh, really quickly, I am going to call in Josh here and say, Josh, is there anything you'd like to add to the Christian Lantanzio discussion? The only thing I will say, and 
and maybe this is a little uh, harsh on him as well, but I feel like we, we and he in particular do too much of a hot hand, right? If it works one game, we're going to roll with it the next game. If a player comes on and he's part of a winning side, whether he played well or not, he's going to be part of the next game. Um, for example, you know, against NYFC, um, Vargas gets a start. I personally didn't think he was overly good that game. Um, I thought he kind of drifted in and out of the game. He had a couple nice shots, a couple nice moments, but overall, I didn't think he could affect the game. But he comes in again this weekend rather than Reyna or Yuzwiat getting the start or Shinoshiki. Um, and that's a big problem I have. It's a fine balance between rewarding guys for good work, but also sometimes recognizing you don't have to just keep going with the hot hand until it doesn't work. And that just feels like what we're doing oftentimes. So question for you, Josh, because I think I've got a little bit of a take on this one, and I'd like to, to see if you agree with me. Uh, and that is, I actually think that the Vargas is not about the hot hand. I think it's just about getting a young man minutes. I think that he played well enough that the coach could say, hey, let's get this guy more time at the competitive level and help him develop. Did you, you know, do you see something similar to that? Or do you think it was mostly just a, he did well in the last one, we run him out again? I mean, I'll say I have no idea. I will say if it is, let's get this young guy minutes. I completely disagree with that in this point in the season. Um, until you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, I don't think you give a guy minutes just to give him minutes. Um, unless he can do something to help you in that game and to help you get three points so that you can make the playoffs. Um, I, I think Vargas has all the potential in the world. Um, but... There if will be time for you to explore that later, yeah. Ex exactly. Next year, U.S. Open Cup games, all of that good stuff. Now is not the time to, to do that. Okay. Um, well, we are going to move along to some of the team news and perhaps the fact that, uh, you know, Christian Latanzio is not necessarily the one making all the decisions here. And that is, there is lots of talk of Andre Shinyashiki, who we have just discussed we haven't seen in a long time, uh, being re-signed. Uh, there is, uh, at least what I'm looking at right now, nothing really hard set in numbers about it, but it does look to be real. It does look like it's happening. And I think we can all kind of agree that Andre Shinoshiki is not Christian Latanzio's go-to guy, um, especially since he cannot seem to get off of the bench. But it does look like he might be with us for longer. And as we will get updates about that one, we will let you know. Uh, Justin, do you want to talk about the cool new jersey they put out? Yeah, so so this is an MLS thing, and it actually ties to this uh, Toronto match that we've got this weekend. Um, there is a theme for the match that is Kick Childhood Cancer. Um, but uh, there's a great new Kick Childhood Cancer um, warm-up kit for all of the MLS teams. You can get it with any of the badges, but obviously the one with the CFC badge looks the best. So definitely that one. Uh, and this Toronto match uh, here uh, in the vault uh, Saturday night is the Kick Childhood Cancer uh, match. There is a uh, giveaway uh, to the first, I think I think it's going to be 10,000 maybe-ish fans. Uh, it's a mini soccer ball. Uh, looks like it's going to be a pretty cool one. Absolutely. Uh, you know, be there. We'll be there. We will see you, uh, you know, from the press uh, this Saturday. Yeah. Uh, with that, because this has already been a long one, uh, we are going to go ahead and wrap it up as ever. We love you and we thank you for spending your time with us. We will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from Toronto. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.